Well, good morning, everybody. It's, it's really good to be here. Uh, sometimes you see Paul and I walk in uh, after uh, the prayer requests because we're helping with the praise team. And it's, it's awesome to actually just be able to sit and to hear that half of our pr- prayer requests are just around lost souls and opportunities uh, to be able to share. And I think just tying that to, <clears throat> excuse me, Father's Day, uh, we know that our Father wants to adopt those that um, have been stolen from his kingdom. And, and so it's amazing that we're carrying that heart. I think that's definitely like a reflection of the Father. I know that Father's Day can be a mixed bag. Um, for some people, Father's Day can be very special. And then for some, um, Father's Day can be uh, a time of pain, uh, a time of loss. And I think it's important that, that we acknowledge that uh, all of us have uh, grown up with different experiences of what it means to be a father. And I guess what I would just say is that um, for those that uh, when you hear the word father or when you think about your own experience as a father, there's pain. I know for myself, uh, sometimes I struggle being a parent. Um, I feel like I'm inadequate because the reality is without God's word and without God's power, I am. Uh, But it's like, I I just want to just acknowledge that that pain can be there, but there's hope. Um, we have a good father in heaven that loves us. And so that's available to everybody, no matter what your experience has been. And then also, um, we have incredible spiritual fathers and mothers here in the church. Um, but since it's Father's Day, just specifically, I just want to um, say thank you to to. Pastor Mitch, for um, the incredible spiritual father that he is to this classroom. And I mean, we could spend probably 15, 20 minutes just listing off all the amazing men in um, this church that God has given us that have just been pouring into us. Um, In second service, you're going to get to hear from uh, Pastor Lee Ridings. And uh, that's going to be a real treat. Uh, God used him at All Church Retreat this, this past week, and it was a blessing. Uh, he's, uh, he's an incredible man of God and, and just another example of a godly father and a godly shepherd that is laying down his life for us um, and for the, for the church. And I know that there's going to be blessing in that. So this morning, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark. Again, we're, we're, we're hitting on uh, the, the book of Mark once, once a month. And so I, I want to make sure that I'm spending a little bit of time just kind of catching us up and reorienting us before we dive into the, the text. So last week we were looking at Jesus's ministry, the suffering servant being scrutinized by the religious leaders. And so Jesus was healing and Jesus was preaching And Jesus was dining with sinners. And Jesus was feeding his disciples on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders were just continually with hard hearts, scrutinizing and 
and really trying to tear down Jesus's ministry. They were absolutely blind to the goodness of God, the goodness of the father to provide for his children, um, to make them whole again. And the religious leaders are just completely blind to it. And Mark 3, 6 is where we ended. So if you guys want to turn to, to Mark chapter 3, and it really ends on Mark chapter 3, verse uh, 6 is where we ended. And this is just such a, a powerful but awful verse. It says, in the, like after all these things, after... Uh, Jesus did all these, these healings, and especially he'd healed a man on the Sabbath day. Mark 3, 6 says, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. So, so the children of Israel, God's chosen people, their leaders aren't just skeptical of what Jesus is doing through the power of of God through the Holy Ghost, but they're actually planning now how to destroy him and they're scheming with the world. And so we're going to see a transition in Jesus's ministry. And I, I think with every passage I study out, I struggle um, because I want to be thinking about like, how does this apply to, to me in my life? And, and also how does this apply to this class, this fellowship. And where I landed with a lot of this teaching is that like, there's some important doctrinal things and doctrine always can apply to our lives, but we're going to sit in some, some doctrine, some teaching that I think is really important in understanding how to rightly divide scripture. Um, I grew up uh, loving God, loving Jesus, loving the word. But I got really turned around in, in the Gospels. And there were times when I'd read a, a verse, which w- like I'll give you an example when we read through Mark 3, um, where it talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit and that there isn't forgiveness for that. That's the unpardonable sin. And so I'd wrestle with, oh, like, have I done that? Could I lose my salvation? And so we're going to spend some time looking at what God is doing during this time of transition as the Jewish leaders are rejecting him. And we're going to see how that unfolds to where we're at today, the New Testament church, which is comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. So let's get into the text. So we're going to start in verse seven. Okay, so keep in mind, the Jewish leaders are planning and scheming how to, quote, destroy Jesus. So let's just pay attention to these first words because they're very significant. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. So Jesus is withdrawing himself from the Jewish leaders and he's going out to the sea. And and a couple of things I just want to call out here is that when Jesus withdraws himself, He's not checking out from ministry. You know, we, we kind of get petty when, when our feelings get hurt. And, uh, you know, for me, that means like not talking, <laughs> kind of like turn into a turtle. Um, but Jesus does not check out from ministry when things are going hard. 
And he doesn't check out from discipleship. He withdrew, but he's bringing his disciples to him. And he's going to the sea. And when I think about the sea, I think about fishing. But this is the first thing to just call out, is that the Lord withdraws from the wicked. So your blank is withdraws. Our hard heart can repel the Lord. Now in God's mercy, he chips away at us and he keeps on coming at us and trying to communicate us, to us in different ways. Uh, but there can become a point of no return where you just keep on denying the Lord and all of his attempts, all of his, his ways, all of the doors that are opening for us, the, the continual knocking on the door. The Lord is persistent, but there comes a point where we've gone too far, where we cannot, we, where, where we've chosen our own path, our own destiny. So the Lord withdraws from the wicked. And Hosea 5 verses 3 through 6 really capture this well. And it says this, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom and Israel is defiled. So God's children are committing adultery on him and they're defiling themselves with the inhabitants of the land. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them and they have not known the Lord. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. So they've reached a point where they can even be seeking after the Lord, but the Lord is intentionally withdrawing from them. Okay, now I want to emphasize that this is dealing with God's chosen people, Israel. Okay? And so we have to keep that at the forefront of our mind as we're reading through these scriptures. And this is an Old Testament prophecy. But just notice the Lord has withdrawn himself from Israel. Now, there's some primary reasons, um, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but just from Hosea chapter 5, there's a couple of things that we can see that cause God to withdraw. And the first one that was called out was whoredom with the world. Okay? It's like committing adultery. So the Lord made a covenant with his people, and they broke that covenant. You can think about that being equivalent to a man and a wife being married and one of the two going off and committing adultery. That's what was happening and it was grieving God's heart. Another one is just the lack of knowledge of God. And I think this is both head knowledge, i.e. you've got to know God through his word. You've got to let it right on your heart. Um, but I also think that this is about intimacy I can know about somebody, okay? Like I can know about Jamie DeYoung or I can, I can uh, know about uh, Krista. Like I can know about uh, anybody here. But like being married to my wife, Allison, Allie, I know, I know her in, in a way that goes way beyond just like observation and head knowledge. And there's that dwelling that the Lord wants with us. 
But when we don't dwell with him, that's when we start to commit, with, commit adultery with the world. Um, and then pride and, and lack of repentance go hand in hand. That we've, we have pride in our hearts and no repentance. The Lord is going to withdraw from us, okay? And he's going to allow the, the, <laughs> in judgment, the challenges of this world, the plagues of this world and sin uh, to reap their fruit in our lives. The ultimate goal is to bring us back through that pain. And I think some of you might have experienced that where you've gone off, where you've strayed away from the Lord. You've strayed away from the church. You've strayed away from the word of God. And what happens? You start reaping to the flesh, right? And, and that pain, God has designed that to actually draw you back. Um, but he's going to withhold the blessing so that your eyes can be woken up. Uh, eyes can be open. Just one other verse in this, in, in, on this topic is that James 4, 6 says this about the Lord. He giveth, gra- he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Okay, so God is withdrawing from the, Jew- the Jewish leaders in Israel. But the Lord has not turned off his grace and his mercy and he's going out to the sea with his disciples. And we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to read verse 7 again. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan. And they, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. And when they had heard what great things he did came unto him and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. Okay, so there is a critical mass that is gathering at the sea and Jesus is saying, hey, get a boat because these people are going to throng me. All right. Uh, I looked up throng because I was like, what in the world does that mean? And like one of the definitions was kind of like to squash like a grape. Okay. And over the last, I don't know, five or six years, there have been some tragedies at concert events where there is a superstar up on stage and they're singing and they're doing their thing. And there are so many people and everybody wants a piece of that superstar that they literally have crushed and suffocated people to death that are in the front. It's awful. Uh, This is a little bit of a side from the notes, but I think this is something that we should be cognizant of with our shepherds, okay? That um, there is a a heart to serve, okay? There's a heart to serve each other, to serve um, our pastors, our leaders, our shepherds, but sometimes in our own selfish desires, we can, you know, we can be coming towards them and, and it's, and, and it's, it's really about the self-focus. It's really about self-gratification and what you're going to see with the multitudes in the gospels is that a lot of times they weren't there for the Lord. They weren't there because they loved the Lord but they were actually there because they wanted to fill their flesh. Ah, I can get a meal if I show up there. 
Jesus, I heard that he can like multiply fish and bread. I'm going to get fed if I follow, if I go out there. Ah, I heard that he's healing people. Hook me up. And so they're coming there for their own gratification. But you'll see that there's a clear distinction between being a disciple and being a part of the multitude. The, 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 the disciples get to dwell with the Lord. They get, uh, these parables are explained to them and, and unfolded. But the multitude, a lot of times, they're not hearing the Lord clearly. Their eyes are closed. <clears throat> okay, we're continue. So, for Je- so Jesus, you know, he's, he's asking for a boat. And, and, and the people, there was, there was concern about him being crushed. Okay, for he had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him. As many as had plagues and unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Okay, so when I read a passage like this where Jesus is healing, uh, in the book of Matthew, it actually talks about that, like, it says that he healed all. So I'm guessing that meant, like, everybody with an infirmity that showed up, like, got some kind of healing from the Lord. I'm just kind of like, why would God tell people to keep it on the DL, to keep it, keep it down? Don't, don't, don't broadcast this. Don't publish this. Like, to me, that doesn't make, I don't know, because I, I just don't understand that in the flesh. My mind doesn't, my humanity, I don't know, the wisdom of this world, it just doesn't make sense to me. Why would he do that? So why would Jesus charge those he healed to not make him known? And what we're going to see in this passage, not just at this moment, but, but a little bit down the road, is that humanity wants to take the things of God and kind of take over them and take them where they want it to go. We have a tendency to do that. And God is still on the throne and God keeps control and God works at his own pace. And Jesus wasn't going to bow down, submit, or follow anybody else's agenda. The suffering servant was going to stay on pace with the Lord. And there was a plan he had. And it's this. That the anointed servant had his eyes fixed on the cross. And the mystery of the church was unfolding. So your next blank is the church. Now, how did I come up with this? Because this seems so random in regards to, okay, like people want to tell other people that Jesus is the son of God and that he's healing and he's telling them to be quiet. Like, how did I land on that Jesus is focused on the cross and the mystery of the church was unfolding? Well, when you look at the parallel passage of Matthew 12, you're going to, we're, we're actually going to see uh, a couple of things, but I think the first one is in John seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, we'll skip that. Okay. So Matthew 12, let's read it. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from fence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. 
and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. And then it says this in verse 19. He shall not strive, nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. That judgment unto victory. That's the judgment, the wrath of God on Jesus Christ. Why? And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So this parallel passage is, is showing a couple, couple of things. First off, that prophecy is being fulfilled in Isaiah 42, which is what Matthew is quoting here. That the suffering servant isn't going to be broadcasting. It's not going to be put on the airwaves. It's not going to be put on the internet. But that through this servant coming and being powered by a spirit, that judgment is, that is going to be brought into victory and that in his name shall the Gentiles trust. And again, keep in mind that the Jewish leaders were rejecting and scheming to destroy their Messiah. And so all of a sudden, we're seeing Jesus's ministry going to the sea in a boat. That sounds a lot like fishing. And this multitude is coming. Some of them are Gentiles. And God has a heart to expand his kingdom to the Gentiles. Now, Romans expounds on this. And this is after the fact. This is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This is after the book of Acts. This is after the Jewish leaders also rejected not only the resurrected Messiah, but also the prophet Stephen. And the Gentiles become part of the church. And Paul is talking about God's dealing with both Israel in Romans 11. And he's also talking about how God has grafted the Gentiles into his family. And this is what he says. I say then, have they stumbled the Jews that they should fall? Okay. The Jewish leaders rejected their Messiah. Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So God's not done with Israel. Okay. But it's through their falling that God is expanding his kingdom to the Gentiles. And then he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's a marvelous thing that God can deal with multiple nations, with multiple parties, all with one action. I think about Solomon and the two women fighting over the baby. And it's like with one suggestion of cutting the baby in half, all of a sudden 
there is grace and mercy and deliverance for the true mom. And there's also judgment for the wicked woman that was trying to steal a baby from the real mom. And it's like God has that ability. And you see that throughout the Old Testament with the nations. He both judged the nations for their wickedness and also used the the wicked nations to bring judgment and rebuke to his children in order to bring them back. Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. God's amazing. And because of this, we have, uh, we have access to God as Gentiles. So after the servant withdraws, we're going to see that the servant both calls and ordains. So Jesus went out to the sea with his disciples, and we're going to see him go somewhere else after the multitude is being healed, has been healed. It says this, Mark 3 Verses 13 through 15. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. So the Lord called 12 apostles to build his future church. You've got the 12 tribes of Israel for the nation of Israel. And as they're rejecting him, we see the Lord go up to a mountain. And what we see in, 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 uh, in Luke, which we're going to look at in a second, is that Jesus spends all night praying. Actually, let's just look at that. So the Lord called the 12 apostles to build this church. This is the parallel passage from Luke. It says this, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus, he went up, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. I think about Abraham going up to worship the Lord on the mountain, being called by the Lord. I think about Moses being called to the mountain and getting the 12 commandments. And here we have Jesus being called up into the mountain. And he's spending all night in the prayer with Uh, all night in prayer to God. So you can imagine that I'm guessing the father had some instructions for him during that time. And out of that, and and, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Okay, so... Uh, Mark doesn't call them apostles, but when you do the cross-reference, you see that these were the 12 apostles. And there are three things from Mark 3 that we can derive about the purpose of the apostles' ordination. And the, the first one is this, that when it says in verse 14, and he ordained the 12 that they should be with him. And so one of the ordinations was about his presence. And think about when Jesus withdrew and went to the sea, what did he do? He brought, the, he brought the disciples with him. And now he's going up to the mountain and he's calling and he's, he's ordaining these apostles. 
And the first thing that's calling out is that they should be with him. But also that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and cast out devils. And what I want to call out about the power is that the apostles had a specific calling on their life. And we'll see this when we get to the end of Mark, that the signs of the apostles, which are called out in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, that they had special abilities given to them by the Lord that were wrought in the Lord, and that those were to confirm the message that they were preaching. Okay, just like Jesus would preach the kingdom and then heal and it would confirm. Just like Moses took the staff and cast it down and it turned into a snake and ate, ate, ate the other serpents in front of Pharaoh and the magicians to confirm the word of the Lord. The apostles had these powers to heal and to cast out demons. They didn't have the written word of God. They didn't have the the gospels, the four gospels written out. They were living in them in real time. And the Lord was using these apostles in special ways to confirm that, yes, this is my man. These are my men. And they are delivering the word of the Lord to the people. And here's how we know it. These signs are, are confirming and bearing witness to that. I put, uh, well, okay, so um, we'll just, uh, I'm not going to read through the names right now. If at the back of your notes, I did do a little bit of a word study on the, the 12 apostles just to get like the, the, or, the origins of their names or what their names like literally meant. So you can check those out um, after, after the fact. I think the thing that just kind of stood out to me is I was even just looking at these was that uh, Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. So Peter, James, and John got these surnames or kind of these like these names that were called like that were a picture of their calling. Okay. But then the other disciples in Mark don't get that 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 surname and what you'll see in the gospels is that jesus had the multitude following him and then within that multitude there were disciples there were more than just the 12 disciples Uh, john 6 talks about some of the disciples actually turning away when jesus was saying hard things to them so there was a the disciples, there was a larger group, but then there was the 12 disciples. But then you have Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John were sometimes brought to, uh, to like up the mountain to see Jesus transfigured. And this was something that not all of the disciples were called to. Um, and I think just to note that, I think it's important for us to recognize that each, is, each of us have different callings. The Lord calls us all to be disciples. Not everybody is called to a, an ordaining of being a pastor um, or 
a deacon. Like not everybody is called to those specific things, but that does not diminish the value that each of these disciples had, or that does not diminish the value of each of our responsibilities and callings. Uh, I mean, if any of you guys have heard the story of like Billy Graham, uh, you know, it was how he came to the Lord was through just what it sounds like a very ordinary person being faithful and evangelizing. And I'm guessing that some of uh, even the pastors in our church, that they, some of them, some of the greatest influences on their life might've been a faithful grandma that just prayed for them day after day, a faithful mother, a faithful father, uh, a faithful evangelist. Um, God has different callings, um, but that doesn't diminish anybody that is a disciple in terms of your role. Now, after Jesus called the apostles and ordained them, it it ends with uh, them going into a house. Uh, Verse 19 has said that uh, they went into a house. So that's the context of of Mark 30. And then we're going to see that Jesus is going to warn the leaders of Israel. It says, and the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. He's losing his mind. Jesus' friends are saying, he's losing his mind. Okay? And this, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, I, I, I skipped over this, but verse 20, you know, there's so much ministry going on that they cannot eat bread. Okay, I don't know if they don't have time to eat, if they gave it all away. There's a spiritual picture there, Um, but they can't eat bread. Jesus' friends are saying that he's out of his ever-loving mind. And the scribes, which came down from Jerusalem, said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. Okay, this is a bad day for ministry, all right? This This is not... A, a day of ease uh, for, for the suffering servant, Jesus. There are a lot of headwinds coming at him. And I think it's important to call this out, that ministry is oftentimes hard. It's oftentimes hard. But it's going to continue. So the Jewish leaders are, are saying that Jesus is doing these good works by the power of Satan. And Jesus called unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. This is actually like one of the least cryptic parables. Uh, at least as I was reading it, like uh, oftentimes when I'm reading through the parables, I'm like, what? (laughs) But this one's just like, like it almost has like a a logic to it. That's just like, I mean, if I stood up here and just like punched myself in front of you guys, 
you're just going to be like, that's not right. <laughs> and so it's like, it's not making sense that Jesus is, is healing these people and bringing um, wholeness and, and that they're saying like, this is done by the power of Satan. And, uh, and, and Jesus says in a parallel passage, who do you cast out devils by? Which is kind of a rhetorical question saying, you're not doing anything for these people. These demon-possessed people, you're putting them in shackles and putting them aside. These crippled people, you're walking past them. Who are you bringing the power of God by? Like, how, how are you delivering them, right? So, <clears throat> continual rejection and blasphemy of God's word will lead to eternal damnation. Continual rejection and blasphemy of God's word will lead to eternal damnation. And I see that I need to give us time for transition. So I need to wrap this up. So you're going to have to study some of this on your own. Um, but I'll just, say, I'll just give some really quick highlights that I think are really important here. So blasphemy, the definition, to speak reproachfully, to rail at, revile, and calumniate. I had to look up that word because I had no idea what that meant. Slander. Okay? So blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is not just like some kind of passive light. This is, you're reproaching it. You're reviling at you're railing at it. You're, you're bringing hateful accusations against it. This is the sin of the Jewish leaders. And their uh, lack of forgiveness from God was not because God isn't merciful. Second Peter 3, 9 shows God's heart. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord wants everybody to come to repentance. And Jesus, actually, the Lord sent John the Baptist and, and then the Lord sent Jesus. And both of them were rejected by the Jewish leaders. But you see that man will harden their heart against the Lord and pave their own destruction, even in the midst of God's goodness. Some Old Testament examples of that, Pharaoh's hardened heart. The Lord would show miracles and it would not, he, Pharaoh just would refuse to obey the Lord and let the children of Israel go out and worship. And the Ninevites, I think, is one of the best pictures of the Lord continually giving great mercy. So the Ninevites, Jonah went to them and preached God's judgment they repented and God had mercy and did not execute judgment. But then the Ninevites that repented never got taught the word of the Lord or rejected it. And four generations later, they went right back to some of the most heinous war crimes in, in history. And by the book of Nahum, they've reached the threshold of, of, of God's mercy and judgment and there was no way to, for them to repent because they didn't want it. They paved their own path. So it's kind of this three strikes and you're out. 
concept. So God sent John the Baptist. They rejected him. The, the Jewish leaders rejected John the Baptist. Then Jesus was sent. They rejected him. They're rejecting him now. Then they crucified him. And then they rejected his, his resurrection. And then God sends a third prophet to them to preach specifically to the Jewish leaders. Walk them through the whole Old Testament. This was Stephen. And then they stoned him and killed him. And it actually says that they like closed their ears when he was preaching to them. It's like they didn't want to hear it. And I just want to emphasize that that's for the Jewish leaders, this blaspheming of the Holy Ghost, because they were seeing its work. This is not for New Testament Christians. Okay, so the New Testament Christian is sealed. But we do have to be careful that we don't grieve the spirit of God. Okay, so grieve is your blank there. I'm going to pass over this because we need to wrap up. Um, but check out Ephesians 4, 27 through 32. And then the last section, the servant prioritizes. So God's mother's, mother and brothers were calling him. And they were without, or they were like outside of the crowd. And he said that um, the will of God must always take priority in our lives. He said, I must, like my, my mother and my brothers, they're those, that, they're those that do the will of God. And so Jesus was prioritizing the will of God over anybody else calling him, even his own mother. So I'm going to pray and we should get on our way. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for just expanding your kingdom to the Gentiles. Um, I pray for your presence to be with us in Jesus name. Amen.